0: Chapter 19, Trapping Pheasants While we were in school, Father hauled all the beans in from the field and made a stack right beside the barn. Every day he would flail out a big pile of them, and when I got home, we would winnow them out. The vines were so musty that the dust nearly choked us, and it made Father cough terribly. And the beans weren't very good either. Almost half of them were little tiny ones, and a third of all we winnowed were black from being frozen before they were ripe mother would come home mother would come out every night when we were finished then she and father would look at the bags of beans in the barn and at what was left of the stack he'd say there are still quite a few left in the stack and there from this end of the field that's where i took the samples we figured from and i'm in hopes they'll run a little better mother would bite her under lip in between her teeth and then she'd say Don't worry about it, Charlie. We'll get along all right, one way or another. I think it's the worry as much as the dust that's running you down so. Why don't you have Mr. Lewis come with his machine and finish the threshing for you? We could pay him with part of the peas and beans, couldn't we? Then father would put his arm around her, and they'd walk to the house, while he told her that, with a wife like her, a man had nothing to worry about. And she'd tell him that the Lord had always provided for us and that he always would. Father left our new house out in the corral. Father left our new horse out in the corral all the time we were threshing beans. But every evening, he'd take him in a few oats in an old bucket. At first, the colt wouldn't come near him, but crowded into the farthest corner of the corral. Then father would set the bucket down and come outside the gate. After a while, the colt would start sticking his nose out toward it. Pretty soon he'd creep up and grab a mouthful, jerk his head up quick, and watch us while he chewed them. Every day he seemed to be less afraid. And the last day of bean threshing, he came trotting right up to the gate when he saw father coming toward him with the bucket. The peas were easier to thresh than the beans and weren't quite so musty, but there were an awful lot of small ones. Father made me a little flail out of an old broom handle and a single tree stick and let me stay home from school to help him thresh. The only way Mother would let us do it was with wet cloths tied around our faces. Maybe it was a good idea because... We didn't breathe in so much dust, and the wet cloths got so cold that we had to flail like 60 to keep from freezing. As soon as we opened the stack and started threshing peas, the pheasants would come every morning at daylight. There were as many as a dozen on top of the stack one morning when we went out to milk. Father said they were getting to be pests and would rob us of 10 pounds of peas every morning. While we were milking, I got thinking about all the peas the pheasants were robbing us of and about how good the one mother roasted had been. That night, I set my steel trap right in the middle of the open place on top of the pea stack. The next morning, there was a nice fat cock cock pheasant in it. At breakfast, mother and father talked about whether or not it was all right for me to have done it. At first, they said it was against the spirit of the law for me to catch him. But I told them again what the sheriff said about there being nothing he knew of in the law against catching pheasants in a steel trap. Father said, you know, son, a man sometimes has to consider the spirit of the law as well as the actual words. But all mother said was, wasn't that other one delicious? I kept wondering all day about trying to trap another pheasant. Father hadn't really said I couldn't, but he hadn't said I could either. I started to ask him two or three times, but without mother there to say how delicious the first one was, I thought I'd better not. Then I thought I'd just slip out when I went to bed and set the trap. If I didn't catch anything, of course father would never know anything about it, because I was the one who always climbed up on the stack to pitch the vines down. If I did catch one, mother'd probably say how delicious again. And that might be all there'd be to it. I thought I had made I, I thought I had my mind all made up. But I tried to keep my back turned toward Father as much as I could, so he wouldn't be able to see what I was thinking. Then I get worried that he might be able to see. Then I'd get worried that he might be able to see anyway, and I'd start remembering about our being partners and the chopping block, and how good my hand felt that night after he shook it. I tried to tell myself it wouldn't be sneaky to set my trap without his knowing about it because he didn't always know when I set it for prairie dogs. But my head kept saying, it would too be sneaky. I didn't figure out what to do till we were eating supper. Then I said to father, do you think I ought to drive a stake down in the pea stack to keep the pheasant from flying off with my trap? Instead of looking at me, he looked up at mother. We were having spare ribs and beans for supper that night. She was helping Hal get the meat off the bones when father looked up at her. I don't know whether she saw him or not, but she kept right on cutting Hal's meat and said, I do hope the children won't get tired of pork and beans before spring comes. Father looked down at his plate again and said, It might be a good idea, son. I got a pheasant off the pea stack every morning till we finished threshing. I guess that made up a little bit for how few bags of peas we got out of it. The day we finished winnowing, we carried all the peas and beans into my room in the bunkhouse. Then we measured them all out into other sacks. When we were through putting two bushels into each one, we had just an even hundred sacks. Forty-nine of them were peas, twenty-eight were little beans, and twenty-three were large ones. Of course, the frozen beans were still in with the good ones, and there were lots of them. Father kept running the big ones through his hands and saying, They'll be more than half saleable. I had to go right back to school again just as soon as we were done threshing, so I didn't get much chance to see father break the new horse. He knew how disappointed I was and told me I could be the one to name him. It seemed only right, since he was taking old Bill's place, that he should have his name too. But he was so young I didn't want to call him Bill, so I named him Billy. Billy had gentled down enough before I went back to school so father could lead him with a halter, and he was being tied up in the barn every night. By the end of the week, he was hitching him up with old Nig and pulling a load of dirt around in the field. The first time I saw him hooked up, he was still trying to run away from the wagon. but father had on a heavy load and the brakes set, so all Billy could do was jump and pull. About the only things he did the rest of the winter were to go about the only things we did the rest of the winter were to go to school and pick over beans right after supper. Every night, father would pour a big pile of them in the middle of the kitchen table. Then mother would read to us while we all sat around the table with pans in our laps and sorted the good beans from the frozen ones. One Saturday, father and I threshed and winnowed a big sack of oaks of oats that we had raised with our alfalfa. It took a lot of threshing and he had to turn the crank on the winnower fast because there was, there was so much hay and straw and so few oats. The next Monday, he took them to the mill at Littleton and came home with a, with the sack half filled with oatmeal.